Did you happen to hear uh, about the story that happened two weeks ago about the man who caught an 18-foot-long Burmese python? You hear about this? Literally, it's the largest snake ever caught in Florida, 18-foot-long Burmese python. It was like this size in the width. The biggest part of the snake was about this big wide. And here's how it happened. The guy was driving along, and he sees it in a distance as it heads into the bush. He then gets out of his car, okay, goes into the bush after the snake, Okay, wrestles this 18-foot-long Burmese python out of the snake, and as it's wrapping itself around him, he takes out a knife and begins to cut off its head. Now, can I tell you, what kind of man is that? (laughs) Literally, that is a man of action. What kind of man pulls over on the side of the road to wrestle a snake, an 18-foot-long Burmese python? I tell you, I would just maybe take a picture of it. I mean, I don't even know if I'd even pull over, but this man was a man of action. In fact, I could see him on a commercial going... I don't always wrestle an 18-foot-long Burmese python, but when I do, right? Literally, this guy was a man of action. And when we're talking about the gospel in action, we've been showing you different stories, different ways the gospel is moving us and causing us to get involved, causing us to be people of action. We shared Jen, I don't know if you remember her story, like eight weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago. We've been doing this series for so long. But Jenna, she said, I'm using my singlehood to serve. The extra time I have, I'm going to get involved in children's ministry, young adults, uh, wherever God, women's ministry, wherever God's calling me, I'm going to use uh, my my time to glorify Him. And then a couple weeks ago, we showed you about peace, love, and little donuts. And we, we talked about how Ron, you know, the owner of this company, says, I'm not just going to use this company to be a business, but I'm using it as a place for ministry. That the gospel is compelling me. My work isn't just a place of work, but a place of ministry. And then we just saw Mike's story. And when Mike could be in Florida right now, on the beach, you know, retire, doing the retired life, you know, drinking the fruity drinks on the beach, doing that kind of thing. No, he's instead saying, God is calling me. God is moving me. Because of the gospel, I have to have a different life. And so he goes into Alquippa to serve the lost, to love the hurting. I don't know about you, but who wants to go to Alquipa? No offense, right? I mean, none of you go, oh, family, let's plan a summer vacation. Let's go to Alquipa, right? Said none, right? Nobody says, let's go to Alquipa for vacations. But here is a man that says, this gospel, what God has done in my life, I have to share it. And I'll go to the dark places. And what we're going to see here today is that this is the mission of God. That his mission, if you're taking notes, that his mission is the world. That the gospel goes to every tongue, every tribe, every people type. It's for every, everybody. That the gospel goes into the world. It goes to the hurting and to the broken. It goes after the lost. It goes into the dark places that we don't normally want to go to. It goes to the places that maybe we feel uncomfortable. It goes after the, it goes to feed the hungry and set free the oppressed. See, his mission, let me tell you, church, his mission is this world. And when we see in Acts, and then we've been, walk, we've been walking through this, what we see is a group of people that take this serious. That they're following that command that they do to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the world. That they're, they're, they're going into the world to make disciples and to call them. And you see that, that these are a group of people, these, these men and women, serious about this call. His mission is the world. 
And in verse 1, we see today that Paul goes into Corinth. And I want to let you know a little bit about Corinth. And his first is this, that it's a marketplace. It's pretty much the marketplace of Greece. It's also a sports town. In fact, it had the second largest festival of games compared to the Olympics at the time. Known for being a sports town. It also had much pride in its city. It was uh, rebuilt by, uh, by Caesar. So there was much pride in the city. There was many idols known for as many different temples. Also, it's known for being full of drunks. In fact, other towns and other cities, when they would have plays, and someone would play a part as though they were from Corinth, they were played, they would always be drunk. This was the type of town it was. It was also full of prostitutes. There were thousands of them that would come out in the night. Not only were they just prostitutes, they were religious prostitutes, temple prostitutes. And in fact, as though we say with uh, Las Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Their quote for Corinth was this, not every man can afford a journey to Corinth. It's just too expensive because of the lifestyle. But here we see Paul being called by God to go into this dark place. To go to the lost and the hurt and the hurting. See, I tell you this because I want to, I want to share with you, actually I want to share with you a couple of different ministries where this is taking place. Yeah, I have a friend who preaches across the United States. He's pretty well known. He was telling me about this church. And this church got started because a, a few people um, loved Jesus and they began to see, um, they were aware, this is in New York City, they were aware of this nightlife style that was going on there. You know, there's 12 million people in New York, and there's uh, millions, uh, thousands of clubs that take place. And so they said, how do we reach this people group? How do we reach these people that will probably never step foot in a church? And so with, instead of, and here's what they did. Instead of going, we're going to build a church. We're going to raise millions and millions of funds, and we're going to build a church. And they said, let's take church to them. And I got a picture here I want to share with you. So instead of building a church, they go into the clubs, and they have church. So this is a church that is a club from Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday, they have church there. And in fact, it's work, God has done such amazing things, they now have seven services. Seven services a Sunday. And they say at times there's a line that wraps around the building with people just trying to get in to hear the truth. So the gospel goes into these places, the dark places. Six days a week, it's a club, but on Sunday, it's church. Going after the lost. I want to share with you about JC's Girls. You ever heard of that? Well, here's a description of this ministry. JC Girls is a women's ministry that started in 2005 by Heather Vitek, a former stripper in Las Vegas. JC's Girls' purpose is to reach out to women who currently are or have been in the adult entertainment industry. There's another team that leads one in San Diego. And their heart's desire, the purpose of JC's Girls, is to reach out to every woman working in the adult, in, adult entertainment industry in their city. Their mission is to share God's love with these beautiful women in hopes that these women will discover and strengthen their personal relationship with God. Through their own personal experiences, directly and indirectly, Teresa and Sherry understand the intimate details of the industry and how it affects the lives of women. 
They see these women for who they are. That they truly are mothers, daughters, sisters, and beautiful children of God. Their mission is to empower these women through personal relationships with Jesus Christ so they can live life full to their potential. J.C.'s Girls Ministry provides bi-weekly Bible studies where women can come and be loved and accepted no matter where they are while, while applying prayer and biblical principles in a practical way to the many issues women face. See, this is the gospel going to places we probably feel uncomfortable about. But it's what it causes, is it moves us to action. And we see this, and, and, and here's this woman who's been transformed by the gospel and says, i got to reach these people. I've got to reach these, the lost. It moves us to action. I'm going to share one more with you. This is a, one of my friends in high school, and he's now involved in this ministry. It's called Proclaim. Proclaim ministry goes into the prisons and the jails throughout Texas to women and men that are locked up, some for life. I got a picture here to show you what it looks like. Oh, not there. <laughs> there it is. Locked up, hopeless. But he says, this is where the gospel goes. I don't know the last time you visited a prison, right? I don't know if it was this last weekend or not, but, but this is where the gospel goes. It causes us, it moves us to go. we got to go where the hurting are and where the lost are. Because his mission is the world. And now becomes our mission. So where's your Corinth? Where's your dark place? Well, can I tell you, I read an article, a, a Christian magazine put out the statistics that the biggest unreached population right now is us. Is the United States. That the biggest growing, unreached population in the world is us. Or at least one of them. It's us. See, your Corinth, your place of ministry is your backyard. Is where you work. Is where you travel. Is wherever you go. That's your Corinth. That is where God is calling you to be his messenger. See, his messenger, his messengers are us, are his people, are you and I. That's who God's calling us to go. And your backyard is the biggest place of ministry. Now, if we're going to talk about his people, we need to talk about Paul. Because we see here Paul is one of the, the main instruments God uses in our passage this morning. Paul's a brilliant man. In fact, if you would equate his knowledge and his understanding, it would be equivalent to four doctrines. He's a brilliant man. But he's also a tent maker. So he works with his hands. He's a man's man. He works with leather. I envy you guys who get to do that. He also, you see in this passage, that he goes part-time and full-time. And some people say, well, I'm part-time minister... Some of us that work in the church all the time, we say we're full-time minister. Paul would say that's foolishness, that we're all the time ministers. That whether you work in the church or you don't, we're all called to be in ministry. And he would say that's foolish. But here's a man that was an enemy. If you want to talk about his past, he was an enemy of God. Here's a man who was set out to destroy the church. 
to persecute the church, but God says, uh-uh, Paul, you're going to be mine. I'm kicking you off your high horse, and he does mean literally, right? He falls to his knees and says, you're mine. And listen, that's why he redeemed us. That's why he saved us, because he has a greater purpose. And so he says, Paul, you were once an enemy of God. You had your back against me, but I'm saying, no, I'm going to save you and now use you for greater purposes. A subtext I would like for us to look at is in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to have it on the screen here. Because if you've been saved, you need, to, you need to hear what Paul has to say to believers in Corinth. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You put your faith in Jesus. That's a powerful word. The new has come. He says, the old has gone, and the new is here. Amen? And he says, all this is from God. Not that you could earn it, not that you could attain it, not there's some good deeds you could get it, right? No, he says, all this is from God, that he does the saving, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we've been saved. He saved you. He's pulled you out. He says, you're mine. Now for what? It says the ministry of reconciliation. That you've been given the task of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ. Not counting people's sins against him. And he's committed to each of us. What? The message of reconciliation. So he says, here's your job. Here's your purpose. Here's your calling. Be the people of reconciliation. And here's your message. The message of reconciliation. We're going to get, talk about that more in a second. We are therefore... Christ ambassadors. That's a powerful word. As though God was making his appeal through us. Now this word Christ ambassadors, we, we know what do you know what an ambassador is? It's like a foreign dignitary. They come to a foreign land representing their their nation. And so what Paul is saying here is that we are foreigners in this land. That this this world we live in isn't our home. No, rather, we represent, whether we're messengers of the king. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're his people with a message, and we're his ambassadors to this world. And listen, for such a time as this, I mean, some of you think maybe you were an accident. Well, maybe to your parents you were. <laughs> like, surprise. But not to God. And we look in his word, he says, for such a time as this, that it was by no mistake that you have the family you have. And it's by no mistake that it's the job you have and the neighbors you have. That's not by coincidence. According to the word of God, for such a time as this, that God has placed you specifically where you are. And the people you know, the people you live with, for such a time as this, his message, we are his messengers. For his purpose. And let's talk about the message. Because this is important. If we've, been, if we've been called into his world. And we are his messengers. We've got to understand what our message is. We've got to get that run right. Look with me in your verse 5 here. In Acts 18. It says. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching 
testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. What was Paul's message? It was Jesus. Very clearly, it says he was about preaching, and he was about testifying. He was about telling that Jesus was the Christ. That was his message. Verse 11, scan down a little bit further. So Paul stayed for a year and a half. Year and a, year and a half he spent doing this. He said he spent a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Very clear that Paul's message wasn't about behavior modification. It wasn't about being a better person or ten steps to a better you. And it wasn't about the silly things we often argue about. It's funny, uh, this past two weeks I've been arguing with a, a guy about who believes that the King James Version is the only version of the Bible. All right? And I spent like two weeks talking to somebody. So, amen, all right? I spent two weeks talking about it's just a translation. But it, it's amazing how we can get wrapped up in some of this silly stuff. Paul's message was pretty clear, wasn't it? It's about Jesus. That Jesus. And it wasn't about being a Democrat or Republican, was it? It wasn't about impeach Caesar, was it? It wasn't about immigration or gay marriage. And before you write that email, I'm simply asking a question, just like Jesus did. Right? What was his message? His message was Jesus. And I want to go through a couple other verses. And See, as he visits these cities, as Paul would visit Berea and Athens and Macedonia and Thessalonica, in the scriptures it's constantly the same. He's constantly was preaching. When he's in Thessalonica, he says, This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. In Athens, he talked with them about the resurrection that Christ rose from the dead. In Macedonia, he says this. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Over and over and over again, you see the message that Paul brings is simply this, is that Jesus, the Christ, the crucified one, that's what I'm about. And I love this, is that I feel like Paul's saying, my job, my purpose is to make him known. Is to make him known. So, so, so do, do the things we talk about, do the things we get, and, you know, get into and argue about, do they muddy the water? I'm going to put it this way. Do they muddy, muddy the living water? Do they create barriers? Do they create walls from this message being preached and taught? Paul says this. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.17, he says, I become all things to all people that I might win some. He also says, I, I, here's a good one, that's what I like. He says, I preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, 17, he says, For the Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I love this because I'm not very eloquent I had trouble last week. I had trouble saying Suzuki. Suzuki. I almost messed it up again. I couldn't say that word. And for some of us, that's good news. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm going to tone down my deep theology. I'm going to tone it down so that you can understand it. 
So I'm not going to preach with this great wisdom or elegance. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. A few weeks back here, we had Chris Buddha. Do you remember him? He came and preached. You know, he was, he was good. He probably caught, a little of us were a little uneasy because he maybe used foul language, was pretty close to crossing the line on that area, right? But I tell you, his message was clear. Like we could understand. I mean, there was no doubt about it. I got what he was trying to say. And Paul's saying, that's what I want to do. I want to preach the gospel with so much, so clarity that you can understand it, that you can hear it. So what do we do? We share. We share this good news. We follow Paul's example. We follow Christ's example. And, and we share it. And listen, that requires words. You know, the, the mantra of my generation often is this, that we're going to preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. You've heard that quote before? The problem with that is that it does require words. Like, I get the idea. I understand, yes, our lives should preach the gospel. Yes, we should serve. Yes, we go after the poor and feed them. Yes, we should fight against injustice. But we have to use words. We have to use words. And listen, as suburbanites, some of the easiest things for us to do is just to serve. Like, we'd much rather just go on a one-day mission trip, go downtown, and, and, and feed the poor. We'd much rather, you know, volunteer and serve and do our good deeds. But, Pastor, don't ask me to talk to my friend about Jesus. Don't ask me to share with my neighbor. Don't ask me to have those hard conversations. That's often what we think and often what we say. But can I tell you, you've been placed... In places us pastors will never go. You have friends, you have neighbors that I'll never talk to or never see. And you have the gospel. And you have the hope of the world. And it's up to you. And it's in your place, in your hands. And listen, this isn't a burden. <laughs> I don't want to make it a burden. It's like, man, this is such a burden. You beat me down, pastor. But listen, this kind of stuff happens naturally right? You see a great movie over the weekend, or you, go, you watch a great game, the game last night. What do you talk with your co-workers about the next week? Right? You talk about the movie you saw. Oh, man, it was amazing. Right? That's what you talk to your neighbors about. It just comes out of you. And so when we delight ourselves in Christ, and we know this gospel is so good, it should be coming out naturally. I mean, I just got to tell you about this Jesus. Another way it comes out naturally is we warn naturally. You see a bad movie, you tell them, hey, don't go see that. I had the experience of that. I took Michelle to see uh, the, movie, the movie The Purge on our date night. If you know anything about the movie, don't see it. It's not a date night movie for sure. Like, I'm still in the doghouse for that one. But I also told my coworkers, bad idea, don't go see it. It just comes out naturally. So, so, so should the gospel. And here's my warning. I don't want us to be crazy religious people. You know the crazy religious lady that, you know, goes around to people's doors and anoints them with oil or burns messages in their yard? Right? I don't want us to be that crazy person. Or, 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 and listen, I know some of us go, when it comes to sharing my faith, often I look at those people with the signs that say, turn or burn. Listen, I'm not asking us to be those type of people, but I'm, I'm asking us to be those people that said, I'm going to invite my neighbor over. 
and I'm gonna, we're going to dinner together, and we're going to cook steaks, and we're going to sit around and tell stories and listen to good music and enjoy one another and drink that communion wine, right? Because it's the only good stuff, right? Um, but we're going to delight in one another. And listen, I'm going to hear their story, and then I'm going to share my story, but I'm also going to share his story. We'll invite them over and we'll do life together. Not that we, we do it to, so that we can win converts. No, we do it because we love them. Because if we, if we proclaim that we love God, I mean, how wretched would it be of me not to tell my neighbor? If I proclaim that I love God and I love people and I really love my neighbor, how awful would it be for me to hold on to the one thing they really need? Oh, it's not about converts, but, but it's about we get to share this gospel and we get to share our lives together. And listen, how did you come to faith? How did you come to faith? Probably because someone took this serious enough to share with you that all of us in here are, are, we're byproducts of generation after generation of people that, that have been faithful to this. Sam, I'm going to be God's messenger. I'm going to share with you the truth that you need. And here we are. Generation after generation who took this serious, kept the message simple and said, Brother, what you really need is Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And so we have to keep the message clear. And if we're Christ ambassadors, we got to go, if there's any way, anything in my life that would be a distraction for somebody else, i got to give it up. So we live differently because it's about him and making sure it's, the message is clear. It's all about him. Donald Miller tells a story. Uh, a friend of his came to him asking for advice. Donald Miller's a writer, so he's pretty wise and this father came to Donald and said, Donald, you know, you're pretty wise, you're pretty smart. I need some advice. He says, my daughter, who's in high school, you know, he raised her right, but she's now dating this loser. And dads, you know what I mean by that, right? The guy you don't want your daughter to date. And so he's like, what do I do? Like, she's settling for this guy and know that she shouldn't be with. You have any advice, Donald? And Donald sat there and was thinking about it for a little bit. And he's like, you know what? I think she needs a greater purpose. And, and the guy was like, well, is that all you got for me? Right? That doesn't help me this week with her. He's like, yep, that's all I got for you. So the dad, the dad, the dad goes home and thinks about it for a little bit and goes, you know what? As a family, we really haven't had a great purpose. We haven't been modeling a great purpose. And so he has this idea, and he hears about this uh, through some friends of his. And so he decides, let's go on this mission trip to Mexico. So he gets the whole family, and they head down to Mexico, and they start working in this orphanage. They spend a week there. They come back home. They find out that the orphanage is low on funds and could close. And so he gathers his family around and says, Family, we've got to raise some money. We've got to raise some support. And we've got to continue to support this orphanage. If not, these people, you know, these kids, they're going to end up on the street. And so they pursue that mission. Well, six months later, Donald says his friend came to him. And Donald's like, dude, how did it go? How, how did, how did, uh, how, 
how'd it go with your daughter? And he goes, let me tell you about what's been happening. He shares all that happening, all that has happened. And then he says this to Donna. He says, and guess what? She dumped the loser. You know why she dumped the loser? Because she realized she had a greater purpose. That she had to tell a different story. And this guy was holding her back. This guy was holding her back from being who she was called to be. And church, what story are you telling? What story are you telling? Paul's story was Christ and him crucified. What story are you telling? Because your neighbors need to hear it. Your co-workers need to hear it. This world needs to hear it. And so we align our lives up with the gospel so this message will be so very clear. Amen? Amen. So Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you just as we've been freely given. You call us to freely give. So, Father, I pray that you will mess us up for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the lost. Father, would you break our hearts for our neighbors, for our co-workers, for the people we run into each and every day. You are the hope of the world. Give us such boldness to be strong in this area. Fill us up. Where we're weak, make us strong. May we not be ashamed of this good news. And may we shine in those dark places. And may we go because you've sent us. And all God's people said, Amen.